What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi everybody, welcome to the show. Today we're looking at Pulp Fiction and who's alive at the end of the film. Some movies turn their narratives upside down by taking us through one person's vantage point and then rewinding the clock and taking us through a different person's vantage point. Like the Jason Bourne movies, The Perfection, or, you know, Vantage Point. Pulp Fiction is a shining example of presenting a narrative from different people's points of view, but it also disrupts our sense of cause and effect by telling the story in a non-chronological fashion. We can't immediately tell which things happened before other things, so it's harder to compare characters' actions or motivations in a scene with what they've experienced before, because that experience we just watched them have may not actually happen to them until tomorrow. But as unique as Pulp Fiction is, it shares one quality with every other story. The thing the audience gets at the very end, the last image or word, is what we take away. It's the thing we remember clearest because it's the most recent. It's the way the story ends, even if the events we're seeing are chronologically before other events shown to us. This kind of thing happens a lot in horror, especially slasher horror, where at the end the bad guy either wins or at the very least survives. We know they survive because we see them getting away. No matter how triumphantly our final heroes have escaped their predator, they're somehow unable to destroy it. Freddy is still in their dreams, having the last laugh. Jason's hand comes up out of the water and grabs the girl. Michael Myers is increasingly supernatural. Why are there 75,000 installments of Wrong Turn? Because apparently you can't kill a deranged mountain man. The way the story ends in a typical slasher film is with the image of the bad guy being not quite gone. Pulp Fiction isn't a slasher horror film. Everyone in it is technically a bad guy, since they're all criminals, or are at least willing to let criminals do criminal things. But like a horror film, its final image is of two of the bad guys being definitely not quite gone. Both of them are completely alive and well, jaunty and happy and swaggering. Even Vincent Vega, who had in fact been killed earlier in the film. Vincent Vega, gunned down dead in Butch's apartment in an earlier scene, is alive at the end of the movie, and that's what we take away. That's the way the story ends. He's alive. No, he isn't, you say very sensibly. He's dead. The scene at the end takes place the day before he's killed in Butch's apartment. But that's how things work in real life. This is a story, 
and at the end of this story, Vincent Vega is alive. Why is that important? Is it just that Tarantino wanted both of his two henchmen to survive in some way because they're interesting and sure to be popular? There are a couple of reasons worth exploring. Vincent and Jules in their role as henchmen wear suits, proper suits, and look fairly professional. At some point in the movie we see them bringing a briefcase to Marcellus Wallace, but they're in casual clothes. They're not even decent casual clothes. They're raggedy and mismatched t-shirts and shorts that look a bit ridiculous, especially in contrast to how they were dressed before. They decline to explain their clothes to the curious bystanders, and the next time we see either of them, they're in professional suits again. They wear suits to conduct henchmen business, basically. And when Vincent takes Mrs. Wallace out for a night on the town, when he confronts Butch, and when he and Jules make a collections call, a scene that's split in two, with one perspective at the beginning of the film and the other perspective in the middle of the film, they're in their henchmen uniforms. But at the end of the movie, both of them are in their raggedy beach attire. The second mid-film scene of the collections call involves a hidden gunman who sprays the room with bullets, yet somehow manages to miss Jules and Vincent. After this bizarre experience, the henchmen accidentally shoot their colleague Marvin while driving over potholes, a common problem while driving, but still inconvenient. They're obliged to stop by a friend's house to clean up the car and dispose of the inadvertent body, and after discarding their blood-soaked clothes, the henchmen uniforms, their friend loans them some of his old clothes to wear the sad little t-shirts and shorts in which they ultimately return the collected briefcase to Marcellus Wallace. Before they get to Mr. Wallace, though, they stop by a diner, because working in collections can be exhausting. Over breakfast, Jules tells Vincent that he's been changed by the bizarre experience with the hidden gunman and the bullets that came right at them and didn't hit them. He's decided it was a sign that he should give up the henchman path and set out on a new one. As he explains, like Cain in Kung Fu, just walking the earth. Vincent is unsupportive and doesn't want to find a new path for himself. This scene in the diner is the last scene of the film. A pair of petty thieves tries to hold up the diner and take the briefcase, but Jules prevents them from doing that. There's a bit of an incident, with panicked diner patrons, panicked thieves, a hair-trigger Vincent threatening to shoot the thieves, and Jules repeating to one of the thieves his favorite quote. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and good will, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. Jules wonders aloud how this quote fits into this diner situation. Is he the righteous man, and the thief the evil man, and the gun the shepherd? Or is the thief the righteous man, and the world is evil and selfish? In the end, he decides that the thief is the weak, and that he, Jules, is the tyranny of evil men. But since his transformative experience on the collections call, he 
He's trying really hard to be the shepherd. And he lets the thieves go with everyone's wallets while he and Vincent keep the briefcase. Our two poorly dressed henchmen leave the diner, going through the double doors side by side and walking off with the briefcase. Neither of them is in the henchman uniform, though, and if we put the scenes together chronologically, we don't see Jules as a henchman after the events at the diner. He's dropped the henchman life the same way he's dropped the uniform, and he walks away happy and jaunty and swaggering. Vincent, on the other hand, puts his henchman uniform back on. He doesn't want to join Jules on his new path. He actually mocks the idea and mocks Jules for having it. He goes back to his life as someone else's lackey, doing what he's told, doing what Mrs. Wallace tells him to do that nearly gets her killed, doing what Marcellus Wallace tells him to do that results in his own death. But Pulp Fiction is a movie where everyone is a bad guy. Most of the bad guys are the protagonists, and we like them. Even though Jules is going out to wander the earth, his skill set suggests that a great deal of crime might be used to fund this earth-wandering. So the comment doesn't seem to be that Vincent is being punished for choosing to stay in a life of crime. The comment seems to be more about making choices, and Vincent not becoming someone who makes his own choices. Butch, the character who kills Vincent, is rewarded with his life for making his own choices when he doesn't throw the fight, and when he goes to get his watch himself instead of fobbing the task off on Fabian. Jules is not killed after deciding to become someone who follows his own orders. Vincent, though, just goes from one set of instructions to the next, until finally it kills him. But he's alive at the end of the film. When Vincent's not in his henchman uniform, and when he walks side by side with Jules, neither leading nor following, out of the double doors, he's alive. Before they get to the double doors, as they're walking down the aisle of the diner, Jules is in front, but as he said, he's trying to be the shepherd. Once they're at the doors, though, they're standing next to each other, parallel, and it's under those conditions that Vincent leaves alive, happy and jaunty and swaggering. Of course, another reason worth exploring is that in a movie set so deeply in the criminal world, where life is fairly cheap and death is literally around every corner, maybe Tarantino wanted to zero in on living that knife's edge life to the fullest. If the last scene of a film is the thing we take away, then seeing two people being happy and alive when we know that one of them dies tomorrow is an excellent reminder that life is short and unpredictable and that we should really celebrate those fleeting happy times, just in case they're our last. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week, and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.